Father, we thank you for the opportunity again to stand in this pulpit and to declare the truth of your word. We know, Lord, that we're here to worship you. We're here to exalt you. And we pray that the preaching of your word today would do exactly that, would elevate you to a place of all of our worship, worthy of all of our praise, worthy of all our dedication and devotion. We ask you to touch us and hallow this place, and may our words be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen and amen. First Peter is one of those obscure books that's tucked over there in the back of your Bible, and it's very little preached. You don't hear a whole lot about it because it kind of gets next to where we live. Second chapter, verse 1 through 10 of First Peter. Therefore, putting aside, laying aside, your Bible probably says, laying aside all malice. That means anger. That means arrogance and all the things that goes along with it. Laying aside all malice and all guile, that's filthiness, and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Wow, that's named four things. We could preach the rest of the morning about those four things, couldn't we? If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord and coming to him as to a living stone rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as lively stones, living stones, are being built up a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him shall not be disappointed. This precious value then is lot for you to believe, but for those who disbelieve. The stone which the builders rejected thus became the very corner of, of the building and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. They stumble because they are disobedient to the word. Wow, that's an awful plight to become disobedient to the word of God. For they stumble because they're disobedient and to this doom they were also appointed. That's very solemn scripture that tells us something that basically is about sanctification. Now, you don't hear a whole lot about sanctification, but it's still a doctrinal truth. And uh, we believe in sanctification subsequent to cleansing. It's the uh, seventh article in the Declaration of Faith. We definitely believe that there is an instantaneous work of sanctification that happens in your life. Amen. That we didn't originate that. That that doctrine originally was a Methodist doctrine. It was a Wesleyan thought that you would receive a, an experience, a definite experience, a second definite work of grace in which the nature, the will to sin, was burned out of our lives and burned out of our testimony. Amen. God wants us to have a, a, a good testimony from those who are within and also from those who are without. And he names all of these things that shouldn't be in the mouth of a Christian, such as 
evil speaking and slander and, and those kind of things. They, they shouldn't be in the vocabulary and in the uh, mouth of Christian people because we're supposed to have a testimony that honors God, a testimony that properly represents God. Amen. And our God is a holy God. And our God is a, a loving and a kind and merciful God, and we should represent him in that way even to a lost and dying world. What we, when we assemble, when we assemble in this house, we're assembled today as the body of Christ, but we're also assembled as the priesthood of believers, a priesthood of believers. A priest goes before God to lead people into the presence and give glory to God. A priest also stands before people for God in order to meet their needs. When a priest comes out of the presence of God to walk among men, he does not cease being a priest. He is still a priest. He is still in that role. He is still in, in that uh, testimony and in that witness. But he's also a, a, a witness to the world and a witness to those who don't know Jesus in the free pardon of their sin. So we're a priesthood when we're assembled. We're a priesthood when we go out into the world. We're always in that realm of being a priest that God wants us to be. That doctrine is very difficult for us to teach and preach in this culture because in the culture that we're in right now, it's completely adverse to that of serving. It is more about being served. It is more about uh, what is owed to me and going to get what's rightfully mine. And there seems to be this mentality that we're supposed to be fed and clothed and somebody's supposed to take care of us, in other words. And that's contrary to the word of God. But that, that, that doctrine of God taking care of us, it's very difficult for us to preach that and get that across to people because they don't really understand that because of the culture. You know, the culture is what it is because we've raised children the way we've raised them. Amen. We've got narcissistic children because we raised them that way. And we in our goodness to them were soft as parents. We carried them wrong. Amen. And when you bow to the wishes of, of children and you give them every, everything they want, and you teach them that there is no respect for anybody, that it's all about you. Well, it's getting quiet in this house. But how do you expect them to grow up to be anything else but someone who expects folks to give to them because that's been the way it's been their whole life? Amen. We, we, I, I used to tell Debbie, you know, I, I don't want these kids to be brought up like I was eating butter beans. You know, and I, I just felt like, praise God, it was my good privilege to give to them and, and all of that. And, and, and our, our loving and our giving, we, we somehow may have trained them and developed a mentality that you owe it to me. Uh, you owe it to me. And it, 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 then it gets that mentality of all about me, you see. And then we get a culture like we've got right now because we've got a whole lot of uh, people that feel like, you, you owe me 
this and that and the other. And that is tough on society because society just cannot operate with everybody wanting everything their way. And everything can't be all to suit one person. It just can't be that way. Because in society, in, in, a, in a priesthood, it just can't be where one or one group gets what they want and everybody else can just lump it. Or, and then most of the time in this culture, people develop the leave mentality. They leave a job. They leave a marriage. They, they, they leave kids. Might as well say, man, it's the truth. Run up on situations all the time where people's got leaving mentality. Amen. And, and it, it's because I didn't get what I wanted. I didn't get what I wanted. And somehow we've got to understand that Jesus said, I did not come into the world to serve, to be served. I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. And he gave us the model of priesthood that we ought to have also. He passed that on to us, you see that we are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Listen to those descriptive terms. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood and a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you may show forth the praises of him who called you. Amen. Called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Praise God. And all of these things are the result of the darkness and light. You see, culture is, is like a riptide. How many of you have been to the beach? Did you see any signs that said, beware? Did you see any signs that said, danger? Did you see any signs that said, no swimming? Why? And then you saw these signs that said, undertow, strong undertow or riptide, or something that described. In other words, the water's dangerous, and you can be wading in knee-deep water, and next thing you know, you've been swept out uh, in a dangerous situation, a catastrophic, where many people have lost their lives, just like what I'm talking to you. And you can lose your spiritual life when you allow the riptides of this culture to slip you out and pull you out into something that you're in way over your head. Amen. Because it's not in your heart to, to be that way. And it's not in your, your mind. And God, God made us to where we were, were supposed to be people that, that gathered uh, in groups. And we had so much one anothering. And all of that has become so divisive now. And to everyone is in his own world and, and living his own life. And you leave me alone, I'll leave you alone kind of attitude. Anybody understand what I'm saying? And that's a riptide that will carry culture, that culture will carry society out to a place to where you don't need to be. And you, you lose, lose things and you lose people when, when that happens. Riptides and currents are all available in this culture. Addiction, all kinds of things. All kinds of things. So it behooves us as we who are of this priesthood to... Forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. Because when we come together, we're the gathered priesthood. But when we go out that door, we're still the priesthood, but we're not the priesthood gathered. Amen. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
but you still are the priesthood who goes to people for God. You come in here and you go to God for people. You go out there and you go to people for God. Amen. Make any sense? That's what uh, this passage has uh, to do with. That undertow will carry us, I, I pray, every day. One of the statements a general overseer said to me uh, not long ago, he said, Jerry, please help me keep this church Pentecostal. Why would the leader of a whole denomination say, Jerry, help me keep this church. Don't let this church change to become something different from what God called it to be. Don't let us, don't let some riptide, please help me keep the riptides from pulling us out to a place where Pentecostalism will die. Could I tell you right now that Pentecost is in trouble as far as people practicing. How many times have you heard, seen in a service where people came up to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost? We just don't do that anymore. We've got to a place in the church of God, a Pentecostal church, where our, our membership, those who possess the baptism of the Holy Spirit is about 40% right now of our membership. And unfortunately, that number is going down. And I'm so sorry to tell you that, but what I'm saying that is I hope I can wake you up and make you realize that the tide is pulling us out, that the tide is trying to take it away from us and rob us of a Pentecostal experience. And I, I, I told him, like I'm telling you, I am incurably Pentecostal. Amen. There, there's no cure for the Pentecostalism I've, I've got. I, I'm addicted to it. Praise God. Now, the last day of my life will find me uh, baptized in the Holy Ghost. Amen. The last day of my life will find me trying to do something in the spirit of the living God and do something to help somebody make sure they make heaven their home. Amen. Because that's what the Holy Spirit is involved in this whole matter about. is giving glory and praise unto God and Him receiving glory for it all. Amen. Him receiving glory. Somebody clap your hands for the glory of the Lord. Clap like a Pentecostal. Why don't you just clap like a Pentecostal? There you go. Hallelujah. I want to clap like a Pentecostal, sing like a Pentecostal, and preach like one. Amen. I read this week, I was writing one of my papers, and I was writing, and one, one guy said, uh, a faithful uh, man uh, that preaches in his pulpit week after week is far better, better than these electrifying entertainers, he called us, that get up and, and preach and stir up the crowd. And, do, and he said, one faithful guy that just stands week after week. And, and I, I, I looked at that, and he used a, a word uh, in there, and I looked the word up, and it said, dull and boring. Brother, the day I get dull and boring, you kick me out of here. The day I get to the place that the Pentecostal message is not preached and the day I get to the place that I back up and won't preach the truth because of some influence uh, from somewhere, you get me out of here. Amen. You fire me and he'll tell me to hit the road because you don't need somebody that'll tickle your ears 
and you don't need somebody to let you sit comfortably by while a tide pulls you out to sea and destroys you spiritually. There is a devil, there is an adversary that is trying desperately to kill this church, kill every one of you. What do you mean? I'm not talking about kill you physically. I'm talking about your worship, your praise, your relationship with God, the Spirit of God that lives in your heart, that lives in your life. You must maintain that and guard that at all costs. Put on the whole armor of God and fight the good fight of faith and lay hold upon eternal life that you'll be able to be in that priesthood. That priesthood is so important because when that priesthood goes to God, things happen. Good things happen when the priesthood goes unto God. A priesthood that serves, you know, the Bible teaches us that the sacrifice and the offering goes up continually. Continually. Did you know that those cherubim and all those attendants to the throne of God are in a place where constant worship goes up to God? That's why you can't sit. I'm not talking about sitting in that literal seat. I'm talking about sitting spiritually. Is your spirit sitting somewhere along the roadside? Have you taken a break and just never got going again? Come on, somebody. Have you ever got, gone through an experience and you just got cold and never did warm up again? That it changed you forever? I want to tell you, there are a lot of those instances along your journey on your way to where God wants you to be. God will put instances, he'll put situations, he'll put circumstances all along the way. Amen. We're not free from persecution. We're not free from difficulty and hardship. We're not immune from sickness or anything like that. We go through those things and we endure those afflictions. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. I said many are the afflictions of the righteous. Many are the afflictions. There's a lot of them. A lot of them. It's not a free ride. There's stuff that happens all along the way. And if you're a sitter, brother, you won't fight very well. Because I want to tell you, Satan is standing. And if you're sitting and he's standing, he'll beat the heck out of you. Did you hear what I said to you? When you give him the upper hand and you concede, any ground to him, next thing you know, you've been taken advantage of and he's given you a licking. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Because if you know him and you love him and you serve him, then you're in touch with a God that knows and hears and answers prayer. You're in touch with a God that moves situations and controls situations that come our way. You know, the very first image that you get of a priest is God. Well, God, the Bible said, six days, five days he made the earth, sixth day he made Adam, seventh day he rested. God had been standing up 
all week. But on the first day of the week, he sat down and he rested. He was sitting. He was in his sabbatical Sabbath day of rest. And the Bible tells us that a slimy serpent slithered its way into the garden and told Eve that God didn't mean what he said that God didn't keep his promises, that God wasn't truthful, that God had sold them a lie and told her, said, you, you, won't, you won't die. You'll be a, like a God, and he knows that's why I don't want you to eat that. And the day the Bible said she ate of that fruit, she went and gave it to Adam. I want you to get your Bibles out because I want you to hear this. In Genesis 3, the Bible talks about how God got active in that whole provision. God, the Bible said that, is it 8, 3 and 8, is that it? Where he said that he put him, that God went out and the voice of the Lord went out looking for, they heard the voice of the Lord. That's it, verse 8. I thought that's where it was. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden. What? And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden. I've never heard of or known of a voice walking. I didn't know a voice could walk. God's got a voice that walks. He's got, a, he's got a voice that he can speak in North America. Next thing you know, it's walked across the ocean and somewhere in Europe. He's got, a, he's got a voice that he can speak and he can shake the whole world. In fact, the Bible said he spoke once and shook the world. He's going to speak one more time, the Bible said, and he's going to shake the world again. Because everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Oh, boy, that's good. I bet it's part of another sermon. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam, his wife, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees. And the Lord called unto Adam. The Lord called unto Adam. And he said to him, where art thou? And he said, I heard your voice. I heard your voice. I heard it in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, the woman Come on, guys, don't be a wimp. The man said, it's the woman's fault that you gave me. You should have judged her better. You should have known her talents better than to give her to me. My, it's her fault. She's the one that tricked me. I shouldn't have believed her. She gave me of the tree and I did eat. And God said unto the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me. Come on, women. Now you've blamed it on the snake. 
the serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou... Well, what was he doing standing there? I said, What was he doing standing there? Who invited him? Who sent word to him? You are invited. Come on, somebody. Brother, you get a mess sometimes when you invite some things into your life that don't need to be there. Somehow he made his way into the meeting. When God sh showed up, he wanted to watch them squirm and he wanted to watch them wiggle and try to figure out how they're going to get out of this one. And the serpent, the Bible said, was more beautiful than any other creature. Brother, he had, he had smooth and silky moves. He was so sublime. He was so fine. And he tricked the original couple and separated sin separated them from god the bible said sin separates us sin always divides the bible said all contention all strife comes from pride and it comes from sin all of it comes from the mind and the heart of lucifer himself we get that first glimpse of god because who is it that initiated this this whole move when god heard and God knew that they had failed. Then God, who was seated resting, got up and broke his Sabbath rest. I said he ended his Sabbath rest. He on the seventh day was resting. And news came, man has fallen. Next thing that happened is God got up. And what did God do? He started looking for fallen man. Now you're seeing the priest, aren't you? What did the priest do? The priest got up and the priest started looking. And when the priest found the original couple and he asked him, what have you done? Well, Brother Irwin, you said that God is omniscient, which means he knows everything. Why did God have to ask them, what have you done? It wasn't for God. It was for them. So they would answer what they had done. And then the Bible said it was God. It was God that killed whatever he killed. It was God that took the skins of whatever he killed. It was God that sewed together the garments to make clothing out of it. And it was God that put the clothes on their back so they could hide their shame and hide their nakedness. Now, where do we see the priest in this? The priest is God who got up from his rest and went searching for fallen man. And when he found him, God, when God showed up, God said, what have you done? Said, yes, we've eaten of the tree. Then God is the one that killed the animal, shed its blood, took the skins, sewed them together, put the clothes on them. Who is the priest? 
God is the priest. God is the priest. You see, the reason Satan hates that story so much about God being the priest and God intervening is he's mad because he lost his job. He's got his lip poked out because he lost his job. You see, if you read, you'll find out that Lucifer was the most cherished cherub in heaven, the most beautiful creature. And the way he expressed himself was through music. That sound, that sound kind of normal? Some of the filthiest communication you've ever heard in your life is called music in this culture. Come on, somebody. His expression was through music. We've got to be careful. I said, we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful lest our singing becomes more about us than it is about God. You see, we've got now to where we've made a category out of worship music. Come on now, who can sell the most? Who can get the most popular? Who the greatest songwriter is? Who, who sold the most copies of a certain song? And now it's become just like the other charts. Come on, somebody. And what we've got to do as people who praise and worship we got to make sure that it is always about God and never about us. Because you see, God said, don't have any other gods before me. Don't get messed up in your worship. Come on. When we start referring to singers as an idol, come on. When we start referring to, to work, it was, the, it was like a, a religious experience, they'll say, in a concert. And when people at those kind of events do all the gyrations and all, well, what's wrong? Why are you so mad at Pentecostals for being so eccentric? Come on! When it's okay for people to do that to, I'm sorry, Lord of mercy. God help us. Don't get your worship mixed up. Don't start worshiping individuals because they sing so beautifully or they, this, this kind of, it's not really about them. The Bible said just make a joyful Noise. As one old preacher used to say, Randy said, that old crow didn't sound too loud, but he was still on the ark. He didn't sound too good. He, he had a lot of croaking going on. I'd say that, that old frog, when he made some sounds on the ark, folks probably said, boy, you can't sing a lick. But he was still on the ark. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Amen. Make a, make a joyful noise, all ye his people. 
all of you who are part of his priesthood. You see, the, the devil, when he, when he was leading the singing in heaven, and he was the cherished cherub in heaven, and when he, the Bible said, sin was found in him. Sin was found in him. And God said, you're fired. You're fired. You're fired. Next thing you know, he's standing in line down at the unemployment office, <laughs> fussing about it wasn't treated right. Somebody fired him that didn't, wasn't supposed to fire him. Da, da 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 And you know who applied for his job? We did. I said, we did. Didn't get an amen in the house. What? You mean we took his place in praise and worship and all, we applied for the job and got it? And that's why the devil hates you so much. He hates when you do good things. He hates when good things happen to you. He don't like for you to get healed. He don't like for you to get delivered from addiction. He don't like it when you start life all over again, a new creature in Christ Jesus. He hates it. He hates it because I preach it. He hates it because I'm preaching here this morning. He despises the things I'm saying right now. Hates it. He'll hate it till the day they throw him in the fire. He'll, he'll hate it all of eternity that we got the job he had. So what that means is we can't be sitters anymore. We've got to be standers. When God became a standard, now I want to tell you, the devil tried to kill this thing of priesthood right off the bat. Right off the bat. Because you see, when Abel is offering his sacrifices, He's offering a sacrifice that involves the shedding of blood. He was a shepherd, so when he shed the blood of one of his lambs, and by the way, Jesus Christ is a lamb and a lion. He's meek and he's lowly like a lamb, but brother, he's nobility like a king and like a lion, the king of the jungle. Ooh, that's more preaching for another time, but let me tell you this. The devil hated what happened in Abel and Cain. And Abel, when he offered that sacrifice unto God, and the Bible said God loved it. I said God loved it because it involved the shedding of blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So here this priest, Abel, is offering up his sacrifice unto God. And he got to be a priest because he's the son of a priest more preaching there. Adam was a priest because he could go to God. But when Adam fell, there was nobody to find him except God. There was nobody else, no other priest. And so God got up and God went and found him. I said God went and found him. When nobody else would, God got up and went and found him. And when God delivered him and helped him. Now he's offering sacrifices unto God. And his brother, his name is Cain. 
and he brings, he's a farmer, and he's been out, and he's brought his corn and brought his stuff over, but it didn't involve the shedding of blood. And the Bible said, and God had respect unto Abel's offering. So the devil got in Cain, and Cain reached over, and he got a weapon, and he slew Abel. He killed the priest. And the devil was attempting to wipe out the whole priesthood of believers right there. And when he rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him, and I, I, I love this about our God. He is always a just and a living God. And the Bible said, Cain just went on, you know, and, and the Bible said, and God came down. Now God's got up as priest, and he's come down again to hunt somebody up. Hello, to hunt somebody up. And when God finds Cain, he says, Cain, where is Abel, your brother? I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And God said, what hast thou done? Fourth chapter of Genesis. What have you done? Listen, for the voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Whew. Lord, we've got God's voice that walks, and we've got Abel's blood that talks. Ah, you missed that one. I said we've got God's voice that walks, and we've got Abel's blood that talks. He said, the voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. And now art thou cursed from the earth. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be. And the 13th verse said, And Cain said unto God, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day, and from thy face shall I be hid. And it shall come to pass that everybody who finds me shall slay me. And the Bible said, and God set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. Wow. You see, the, the devil hates it that we sing worship songs to the Lord Jesus because we got the job he had. Now I want to tell you, I don't intend to get him his job back, do you? I think if the rocks and the hills would cry out to God if we hold our peace. If we don't do the priestly thing of honoring and serving and lifting up praise to him, Jesus said, the rocks and the hills and the mountains shall cry out to me. Praise God. I don't want a rock to cry out for me to you. I want to be right there praising God for myself. That Sabbath, that thing that the Lord Jesus became the priest for all of us, that's, that's amazing. It was God who shed that blood. It was God who did all of that redemptive thing. And in 321 of Genesis, the Lord God made garments for them. He took upon himself the duties of the priesthood and became responsible for the problem. So when God is seen functioning as a priest, he hunted and called and found and killed and skinned and sewed and covered, serving all in the name of priesthood of believers. And all that we see, the redemptive activity of the Holy Spirit 
You know, the Bible tells us that we have received this gift of salvation by the power of the Holy Ghost. In fact, the Bible said, by the washing of regeneration and by the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Do you know what regeneration means? If something is generated, it's made, isn't it? If it's regenerated, what is it? It's made again. If something is birthed, it needs to be birthed again into the kingdom of God or born again, born again. Cody's got his notes out. I love the way he takes notes while I preach and while we teach. What he's doing is he's a new convert in Christ and we're all praying for him and holding him up to God and believing that God's given him new life. What's happened is he's been regenerated by the Holy Spirit and been made a new creature in Christ Jesus so that his life is changed. I said so that his life is changed. Isn't that great? That your life can change, be regenerated or made over a new creature in Christ Jesus to walk, the Bible said, in newness of life. Newness of life. What does that mean? That means old things are passed away and that all things are become new. And you're walking then in newness of life. I, I love that. God has so marvelously instituted the priesthood of believers. And we should walk in the, in the praise and the admonition of Scripture and give glory to God. Because when we're assembled, we're a powerful force that if we stay together, there is power in unity. Did you know that when God found the people of the earth building a tower to heaven? Have you ever seen that in 11th chapter of Genesis where the people of the earth started building a, a tower and they called it the Tower of Babel. Babel. The Tower of Babel. And the Bible said they all were working because they had unity. And the Bible said God knew that they could do incredible things because the people were of one mind and one heart working for one thing. They were of one soul and of one spirit. And God said, if I don't stop them some way. Now, brother, when you get God to marvel at what you've done, that's pretty phenomenal, isn't it? And God marveled that they were building a tower, they said, to reach heaven. Wow. And the Bible said, and God confused their language. There was a time when we all spoke the same language. Can you believe that? And the only thing that kept us from doing great things is we stopped communicating. You know, if the priesthood of believers could all speak the same thing, if the priesthood of believers could all be absorbed in doing the same thing, coming before God for the lost condition of this world. If the people of God, the, the, the priesthood of believers, could come to God in a, in a strong, powerful, unified way. But that guy that lost his job is so busy, Jesus called him our adversary. He's still mad and still hates that we got his job that we, we get to praise and we get to worship and we get to exalt the name of Jesus. Praise God. 
And he got kicked out of that job. Hallelujah. So the fact that Jesus delivered and that Jesus came to the aid and rescue of all of us in that endeavor to have a priesthood, the Bible calls him a, a priest forever. And the Bible calls him, come on Olivia, calls him a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Have, have you ever read that in, what is it, Hebrews chapter 11 where the Bible talks about the people of God being the people that are, are our priests look like Melchizedek? You know who Melchizedek was? He was the king of Salem. King of Salem. Salem is the early civilization location of what is Jerusalem. Jerusalem means the city of God. Amen. So this king who was king of Salem was not just a king, he was also a priest. So then when the Bible says that we are a royal priesthood, it means there's some king authority and some king nobility involved at the same time that there is this priestly mentality. So at the same time, we're a royal priesthood. Royal has to do with kings and kingdoms. Priest has to do with servants who worship God. Kings have to do with kings and kingdoms. Priests have to do with servants and those who serve and worship God. So at the same time, you are one, you are a chosen generation, you are a royal priesthood. Boy, you ought to think a little bit more of yourself than you did when you came in here. That you're a lion at the same time you're a lamb. A lamb. You're, you're a servant and a, a, got an humble heart like a lamb, but you've got the heart of a lion in that you're a king. The royalty and the servitude. Praise God. Hallelujah. I hope you'll get this. I'm going to say it again. Kings and kingdoms and priests are servants and worshipers. Some of us love one side of that equation. Boy, preacher, I like that walking in nobility. I like that having on those robes of authority. I love being part of the king's court. In fact, I love being the king. But the other side is that you're as a priest or a servant and a worshiper. Praise God. Hard to serve sitting. You got to get up. Amen. And you got to do what else? Found out from heaven, if we got that job, you're going to have to open your mouth. In fact, the Bible said the fruit of your lips is what? Praise unto the Lord Jesus. Have any of your lips got fruit on them? Ah, you sleeping folks, wake up. Have your lips got any fruit on them? The Bible said the fruit of our lips is praise 
and honor unto the Lord Jesus. Does any of you in this house have fruit on your lips? Is there any praise going up? Is there any worship going up? Is there any exultation, any glory to God, any hallelujahs, any praise your name, Jesus? Is there any of that, that the fruit of your lips is praise and worship to the Lord Jesus? So then to be that servant worshiper, number one, you got to get up out of your seat. Number two, you got to go to work for the Lord. Number three, you got to open your mouth. Open your mouth. And it don't have to be a melody every time. It can just simply be praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. There ought to be that kind of mumbling going on all over this place. There used to be a little sister in the church at Tuscaloosa, my first church. And her, her way of helping you preach was she'd say, God help Jesus. And I asked her one day, I said, Sister Hankins, what do you want God to help Jesus do? She said, oh, I'm just trying to help you preach, Brother Jerry. I said, well, well let's find something else to help me preach. God help Jesus. Amen. I, I, I think sometimes it's, it's trying to say, God help Jerry. But there ought to be that kind of thing. That I used to sit around in Pentecostal services and everybody would be, they'd just be, God help him, Jesus. God touch him, Lord. Help him, God. Lord, touch the message today. Touch, anoint him, God. Pour out your spirit upon him. They wasn't loud with it. You just hear that little mumbling on people's lips as they was praying, praying for the word, praying for the message, praying for God's spirit to come and do something. Do something. I want that to happen again. I said, I want that to happen again. I want those aspects of Pentecostalism. I, I want that back in, back in vogue in the church. Amen. I, I want to see people rejoice in the Lord. I want to see people that have the victory, that have come overcome something that week, and that they fought a valiant battle, and they hung in there, and they won the victory, and they come to God's house on Sunday. They ought to stand up and worship God and open their mouth and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for helping me through that difficulty. Thank you, Lord, for supplying that need. Thank you, God. In fact, this whole church ought to just stand up right now and say, thank you, God, for what you have done for me. Thank you, God, for what you've done for me. Thank you, God, for what you've done for me. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done for me. The fruit of my lips is the praise, oh, Lord, that you're worthy and you're, you're due all honor. And I just lift that up to you. Let, may that be the fruit of my lips right now this morning. I want to be a priest, oh, Lord, that shows people to God. I want to be a priest that goes to God and, and stands in for people. I want to be a priest that can enter the throne room of God to obtain help when help is needed. I want to be a priest that witnesses the life, that testifies of the life of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, I want to tell you this. Pentecostals pray one for another. So I want you to pray one for another. The Bible said 
pray one for another, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another that you may be healed. Pray one for another that you may be You can say it. Pray one for another that you may be healed. Is there anybody this morning that needs to be healed? Anybody? Anybody? I need to be healed. How many of you believe the Word of God when it said, Pray one for another and you shall be healed? I believe that. Susan, I believe that. It's the Word of God. If it's the Word of God, then we've got a, a right to lay hold upon the Word of God. Amen? Amen. I want us to do that right there. There's another scripture that said, Call for the elders of the church. Yes, I know that one. And I know it, but it, it literally says a very simplistic, Pray one for another that you may be healed. I feel impressed to the Lord to do that this morning. Is there somebody standing beside you that you might take their hand and let them pray for you and you pray for them? Brother Jerry, this is my wife. I've not prayed for her in 35 years. Grab her hand. You'll be a happier husband if you'll take her hand and pray with her. Amen. What are, what are you talking about? Pray one for another. I'm talking about obeying what the Bible said. Pray one for another. God, in Jesus' name, I pray for these people in this congregation today. I pray for my friends, and I pray for those, O oh Lord, that may not know you yet. And I pray, God, that they will get acquainted with you and come to know you as Savior and as Lord. You're the Lord of our life. You're the Lord of all things in our life. And we worship and we praise you and we give you glory and we give you honor and we give you praise. We are the priest. We are the priesthood. And we are the ones that have access into the throne room of God. We are the ones that have access to call upon God in the day of trouble. And you said, I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. God, I pray that you would uh, answer the prayer that these people are praying this morning. David said you delivered him out of all of his trouble. God, would you deliver people in this congregation that may be in trouble today, that may not have answers, that may not know what they're going to do, that may have a need that they don't know how it's going to be supplied. But God, in Jesus' name, I ask you so kindly and so marvelously to touch them, my brother, my sister, my wife, my friend, God, in Jesus' name, my husband, God, answer the prayer that we're praying and meet the need that he has and touch him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let grace and let power and anointing touch my brother, touch my sister, touch my friend. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Now then, let's give God the biggest hand clap that we can give him. Come on, about 30 seconds of the best you got. Best you got. Best you got. Praise his wonderful name. Praise his wonderful name. Praise is comely for the righteous, the Bible says. Comely for the righteous. You know what that word comely means? Good manners. Praise is good manners for the righteous. Wow. Boy, that's a strong word, isn't it? Praise is good manners for the righteous. 
Blessed be God. Now may the God of all grace, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who only hath mortality, grant to you his blessing and his favor as you go out of this house. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you and God go with you. Great day in the Lord. Thankful to have you in God's house today.